You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Amen. I am so thankful that during our parent conference this weekend, with all the stuff we had for the kiddos, Pastor Josiah got to take the brunt of all the kiddo punishment, and I got to sit with all the parents and open God's Word, and we studied and we looked into what it it means to really follow Jesus in our parenting. It was a blessed weekend, and I am so thrilled we get to bring that basically to a close on the Lord's Day by sitting under His Word and by worshiping Him, and ultimately celebrating a gospel proclamation and baptism. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Psalms uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. If you use the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, there is a ton of Scripture and videos and all kinds of stuff. If you'd like to follow along, you can take notes as we go. If you don't have a Bible and uh, you'd like to use one of the church Bibles, it's somewhere under a seat near you. That'll be on page 472. I'd like to start with the reading of God's Word, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Church, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this psalm. Thank you for the things that we saw this weekend, for those of us who were there. And now I ask God that you would show us more, that you would speak to us in terms that we can each understand and that we would delight in what we see. God, help me to preach this well. Help us to hear from you well. Help us to walk in what you've put before us well, faithfully, Guys, thank you that we can worship you this morning, or even aid us in our worship, that our worship would be well. And Lord, in all of us, all of that, let us delight greatly in you. It's in Jesus' name, Amen. There are uh, there are folks in this world we uh, call prosperity gospel preachers. I don't even like putting the title of preacher to that or gospel, but that tends to be what we call them. They are people who preach all sorts of things that are contrary to what the Bible teaches. They are false teachers. And because of these false teachers, often we get really uncomfortable with things like, or statements like, whatever he does prospers. We get uneasy with even saying that because the false teachers have used that sort of language to promote some sort of something that's not what God would have us to know and learn and live by. We don't like it because it just flirts a little too closely with all that. If you do this or that, you're going to be prosperous. But let me just put it out there. I want to put it on record as saying I find no discomfort with the statement whatsoever because the Bible says it. It doesn't bother me one bit. But, and then This is big. We have to be sure we understand it as the Bible means it. That's the critical piece to this. I think, and I hope we'll see that. We're starting a new series. It's a six-week series called Putting on Christ, or Put on Christ. What is it? Put on Christ. We were in Romans. We're taking a pause. Now we're doing this series. Where would we get such a title, 
where would we get such a strange idea? I mean, we've got a coat hanger, and where, where would this come from? Well, it actually comes from Romans 3.14. You might remember last week we were in this section of Scripture. Remember verses 13 and 14 say, Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and in drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. So those of you, you might remember there was a putting off of those deeds of darkness, a putting off of the old, the sinful self, and a putting on of Christ. And so we decided, and that's a big concept. There's a lot there. So we wanted to take a pause And so let's drill down into this a little more. Let's take a few weeks and and just ask the question, what does it really look like? What does it really mean? What is it to actually tangibly somehow do this text and put on Christ? So that's our series. That's what we hope to do. That's what we hope to explore. Today I'd like us to look at the person who prospers in whatever he does hopefully without concern or fear, as we dive into this text. There are two parts to the verses, two parts to what we have in front of us. The first part is the stuff that he, this person in Psalm 1, doesn't do. They're the the things he just stays away from. The second part is the, the thing he does. So let's just take this in the two parts. Psalm 1, I'd like to read it again, 1, 1. How happy is the one who does not... Walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. There's there's three things here that we might see. It may appear like we could break this into a three-part sermon with those things, or we could we could break that down. Maybe, maybe you've heard a preacher say that this is an escalating progression that starts with talking with the wicked and dabbling with their advice, and then maybe it moves to occasionally hanging out with them. And then finally, it it, it goes all the way to joining their company, their gang, like as if you joined a Hell's Angels motorcycle gang or something like that. That is an awful way to understand this verse. I mean, it's just wrong and terrible. Uh, And if you've heard this sermon, I'm, I'm really sorry because you probably heard it from me. When I was in seminary, I've preached this text three times. This will be the third time I've preached this text. The first time was when I was in seminary. It was my first semester in seminary in my preaching class, and uh, I preached it just like I told you. I broke it down into these three things, and uh, that's very wrong. That's not what this text is doing. That's not even what this text says. That's a terrible interpretation of the text. Fortunately, the only people that heard me preach that were a bunch of other students who were terrified and learning how to preach and afraid, and a professor who could correct all the stuff that I had just preached incorrectly. Uh, it was poor biblical interpretation. But this should be a good reminder of why it's important uh, that we get proper education for our our preachers and pastors. It should also uh, be a good reminder why it's important that young learning preachers and pastors can, can kind of grow up in a church under the guidance of, of a pastor and with a gracious church that would give them some room to work through this. And, and Redeeming Life, I'm thankful that we can be a church that trains up men here. I hope we can do that well for, for many, many, many years, and we won't send guys out who are preaching like I used to preach. Um, hopefully we can see that change. 
So if this verse isn't giving us a three different thing escalating progression, what is it saying? What's actually happening here? Well, in Hebrew prose and poetry and in Hebrew song, there's a, there's a way of explaining something in totality, in a sense of completeness. Okay, So for example, you might remember Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, which, which tells us to teach our children that the Lord is one and that you are to, quote, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. There's one example. And then in verse 7, just a little bit later, it says, Teach your children this, quote, when you sit in your house, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. All right, these are two examples of what I'm talking about. It's this idea of, of giving us a demonstration, a picture of completeness, of totality, when you're in your house and when you're not in your house. Okay, so that's kind of all the time, right? When you're in bed, when you're not in bed. Love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind. Every single thing that you have. This is just a stylistic way of saying everything. Okay, it's complete. And in the second case, like the first case, love God with everything. The second case, love God all the time. There's no time when you shouldn't be loving God. It's a a picture of totality. So in this first verse, Psalm 1-1, this same technique is being deployed here. It's saying that the person that we're looking at should have nothing to do with evil and sin Anywhere, anytime, in any way. Sin is far removed from this person. He doesn't dabble with it. He doesn't make plans to gratify the flesh. There's just no excuses. That's what we're seeing here. This person is discarding the deeds of darkness. He's putting off the old person. The old sinful nature is far from him. The old sinful ways are far away. That's what we're seeing. But if we were to stop here or if we were to to really press too heavily into this, we'd have one of these good old-fashioned, moralistic, just-be-a-good-person-and-do-good sermons, which then my preaching professor would stop me, and we would have a problem. That would be wrong, because this verse doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's not alone. It goes with the rest of the psalm here. And that's not actually what it's saying. And sadly, many people try to live in that. Like they got the coffee cup Psalm 1-1 idea, right? They're, they're living in Psalm 1-1 without depending on Psalm 1-2, without making Psalm 1-2 the foundation. They think they can put off evil, and they think they can do good on their own. They think they can be a good person in their own strength. We live in a world where this idea is everywhere. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is not one who understands. There is not one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. And in John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Okay, why? Why? Be, because you can do nothing without me, he said. You can do nothing without me. You can't do any good apart from Jesus. You can't produce any fruit. You can't prosper without Jesus. And this is where the second verse is going. This is what we're going to see as we move forward. Look at verse 2. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. 
There's a critical linking word here. Those of you who were here in my class last quarter on tools, linking words, they're very important. This one is very important. The linking word here that you need to pay very close attention to is the word instead. It's a contrast word. Right? If you write in your Bible, I would circle that word. I would put a note here. This is an either-or situation. It's not some matter of degrees, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's one or the other, either-or. This person can either be the unhappy person in evil and sin, dabbling in all of that stuff, or the person delighting in hearing God's word. It's one or the other. Something else that, that I really found fascinating here is this word delight. I mean, that's a very powerful feeling word. That's an emotional word. It's a beautiful word. So I looked at the Hebrew. I thought, wow, okay. Then I checked 37 English translations that I own going all the way back to 1525. And almost every single one of them uses the English word delight. I mean, rarely do you find the exact same word in that many translations. This is a, a good translation. One, I mean, some of them are a little bit easy reader or whatnot, but but one, instead of saying delight, said, he loves. Another says, the law of the Lord is his joy. Still another said, the, the, his pleasure is in the law of the Lord. This is a good translation. Now, if you go back to the Wycliffe translation, which I have, which I don't call that an English translation because I can literally only read half the English words. They're all supposedly English, but I can't make heads or tails of it. It was translated between 1382 and 1395. And the word that was used there is while or willy or W-I-L-L-E. I couldn't find in the dictionary that I have an actual pronunciation of it. This is part of the word where we get goodwill. Except in this translation, it was God, while or willy or will or whatever. And then that's sort of more from God will to Goodwill. Okay, but I, the 14th century meaning of this willy word is great or tremendous pleasure. So even in that translation, this person, instead of dabbling in evil, taking advice from the, the mockers around, uh, being in the company of these sinners instead, has his delight, his love, his joy, his great pleasure rooted in the instruction of God. The words of the Lord give joy to this person. It's where he finds his delight. And then the psalmist uses an illustration. This is poetry. We want to have an illustration, a little picture here. Uh, Verse 3 says, He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. First, this is a beautiful picture. We need to concede. This is, this is beautiful. This is where you take your, you know, your senior pictures or your family pictures. This is where you put a picnic. You, you, know, you want to put it down under this beautiful tree that's probably providing wonderful shade and has beautiful fruit. It's picture perfect. I mean, it's just it's perfect. There's not even a single leaf wilted. None of those leaves wilt because there's no drought, which we all experienced last year and really didn't like. There's, there's no dead branches. There's not a single disparity in this tree. And it produces fruit, which is so nice. It doesn't say what kind of fruit. 
But whatever fruit you love the most, just put that in your head, and that's what it produces. So I have a coffee tree uh, here. This is a beautiful tree. This is a wonderful tree. It's a picture of the one who delights in God's instruction rather than dabbling in sin. It's just It's fantastic. His delight is so great. This picture for him is so wonderful that he can't stop thinking about God's word. He can't stop. It consumes his mind. Day and night, it says. Okay, that's the way how we say all the time, right? It's day and night. All the time. This consumes him. He's meditating on it. He's thinking about it. He's pondering it. He's considering it. He is rooted in God's word. Day and night. All the time. What do you think about all the time? What, what do you think about day and night? What are you rooted in, in your thoughts? What do you give all your attention to? Now, now I realize, I, I do, because I'm a human being with you and a sinful one at that, that we don't think of God's instruction every second of every day, all the year long, forever. I get it. We, we struggle here, right? God doesn't consume our affections all the time which is a problem. It's a big problem because God commanded us to love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, I just read that, remember? And then Jesus reaffirms this. This is a command from God, and he reaffirms that it's the most important command from God. He does that in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, in Mark twelve thirty, and in Luke ten twenty seven. And then he added the word mind. Because he's making absolutely sure that we understand it's a picture of totality. You are to love the Lord your God in totality with everything, all the time. Therefore, any millisecond that you have ever given your love to something else higher than God, when you've doubted, when you've heard from someone other than God and put your trust in that, any time you've done more than this command, just one moment you've been outside this command, you failed. You have blown it. It's over. You didn't do all you could do. You've fallen short of the law. There are some who will tell you that God commanded it, therefore it's possible. And they're right. They're, they're perfect. God commanded it, it's possible. But you didn't do it. And I certainly didn't do it. I mean, I know I've really dropped the ball on this. Especially in football season. <laughs> Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 8, 7 and 8 says, The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is un able to do so. So any moment that your highest affection is not for God, your mindset is hostile to God. It's an either-or situation at any instant. So then, if I've blown it, and you've blown it, if it's not us, who is this person in Psalm 1 through 3? Who is the only person who's never sinned? 
Who is the only person who did the perfect will of God all the time in totality? Who is the person who loved perfectly all the time? And if he never sinned, and he always did the will of God, then there was never a time, not for a single second, when his affections and his love and his thoughts were not completely on God and nothing else. God above all else. All the time. There was no time when he trusted another above God. There was no time when his delight wasn't completely in God's instruction. No time, never. Not day, not night. He was always meditating on God's instruction. There was no drought in his spiritual life. There was not one withered leaf. Who is it? You know. Who is it? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. In Psalm 1, the happy, blessed one perfectly is Jesus. And if we're in this psalm anywhere, where are we? We're with the wicked. We're with the, we, we haven't been meditating on the instruction of God day and night. We haven't, we're with the wicked. And here's where there's a real problem. Psalm 1.5, if we just keep reading the same psalm, says the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. We got ourselves a big problem. But here's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is good news. Here is the good news. Jesus was willing to enter humanity. And he's willing to trade your sin for his righteousness. Like we're called to discard the deeds of darkness. All that stuff we're called to, to discard and put off. He's willing to take on himself. And then all the stuff we're supposed to be taking on is actually him, and he's willing to give himself to us. He's willing to make this fantastic, great exchange. So he'll put on our sin, and we put on Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He, God, made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is trading his perfect life, his perfect faithfulness, his never once, not for a millisecond, taking his heart and mind and soul and strength off of God for our failures so that we can stand in the judgment in Christ. In Christ, you can please God. In Christ, you can be adopted as a child of God. In Christ, you can have the joy of the Lord. In Christ, you can commune with the living God forever. In Christ, you can delight in his instruction and meditate on a day and night. In Christ, you can enjoy the Lord and worship him forever. The one who delights in God's instruction day and night is blessed and happy. And whatever he does prospers. What is he doing? Saving you and me. What is he doing? Calling you into a relationship with himself, transforming your life, conforming you to his will and not the image of the world. Whatever he does prospers and he's calling you to put him on yourself. He's saying, put on Christ. Take me as yours. And I'll take all that garbage from you. That's what he's doing. Now, let's get really practical here. Part of what we did 
during our um, Field of Families Parent Conference is we got really practical. Like, it's one thing to, to use a lot of this, this Christianese. It's another to say, okay, how? And there was a couple of people that did not like the practical exercises, but it was good, right? So we're going to get practical here for a minute. How? Like, I mean, we got a picture of a coat hanger, and we got this language. How do we put on Christ? What does that actually mean? To put on Christ, that is to take him as yours, to have him be your Lord, to have him be your Savior, means that you believe that he is who he says he is. Sometimes that's tough, but you say, I believe that you're who you say you are. It means that you give up your deeds of darkness, you let all that go, and you live for and by God's instruction. You're going to go ahead and surrender yourself to what he has. You're going to trust that he's right. It means you turn away from building your own kingdom, which, by the way, is just a kingdom of dirt, or worse words that I can't say from the pulpit, and you live for the kingdom of God. That's how you put him on. It means you die to yourself, and you live for Christ as a living sacrifice. But you can't do any of this yourself. You can't do any of it. You cannot do this. It is literally impossible for you to do this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, You are saved by grace through faith, and it is not of yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, not from doing any of this stuff. Because it says, so that no one can boast. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Jesus made it possible even in this for you to come to him to put him on and be saved. Okay, that's all fine and good, but like, okay, how, what do I, I mean, I need some hows here. If you do not have Christ on you if, you, if you do, you know you need him more and more and more. You know that. He's making that clear to you. But if you don't have his righteousness on you, if you have not made this exchange, here's the how. The Bible says you cry out to him. One, that's conceding he is actually who he says he is in the word of God. What do I say? You say, yes. Yes, Lord, I want this. All, I don't even understand it all. I'm trying to make sense of it. I want this. I want to put on Christ. I, I want to believe you. Help me believe. Help me in my unbelief. God, I just want you. That's you surrendering all yourself and giving yourself to him. And you do that in prayer. If you don't know how to do that, come talk with us. We would love to pray with you. You just simply cry out. You believe. And you give up the other stuff. And then you let him call all the shots in your life. That actually proves that you are surrendered to him. When he gets to call the shots, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a child of God. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he is who he says he is, you'll be saved. You'll stand in the judgment. You can cry out to Jesus today. You can do that right now from your seat. I want this, Jesus. I want to live in this way. It's not the easiest thing. It's confusing sometimes. It's difficult sometimes. But if God is calling you, I'm encouraging you. Cry out to him. Open yourself up and say, I'm all yours. If you don't know how that works, come talk with us. We'll open up God's word. We'll open up his word and show you from the Bible what it means to be his, to put on Christ. You can put on Christ this morning. And when you do this, you will begin to delight in God. 
It's not perfect. It's a process. But you will start to find your joy in him. You will start to delight in him. And sometimes you'll stumble. Man, sometimes you're just going to just done mess up. Sometimes you will still listen to the advice of the wicked and stand in the pathway with sinners and sit in the company of mockers. But Christ will forgive you. He will carry you through. He will love you. If you just continually go back to him, say, I'm yours. Often you will find your greatest joy in the word as you do this, as you grow. If you're not finding your greatest joy there yet, stick to it. He will transform your mind and you will. You will find your comfort there. You will find your hope there. Why? Because this is what tells of Jesus. And you will see Jesus day in and day out, night and day, as you go, as you sit, as you walk, as you train up your kids. I want to encourage that you would delight in Jesus' voice and follow him. Take joy in him. He will be transforming you and one day you will be the tree planted beside flowing streams of living water that bear fruit in its season whose leaf does not wither. In time, that will be an illustration of you because Jesus is a beautiful gardener. And someday when you stand before Jesus, you will delight in God every second without wavering and without failure, without distraction. And you will find your greatest delight in him forever. Would you pray with me? Father, I I, I thank you, God, so much that you would do this for us. I don't, what a terrible trade you've made, but what a wonderful blessing we get for it. And it brings you glory. So we thank you for that. Or I know many of us in here, this, this can be a struggle. There's some tangible things that can be difficult. Help us, God. Help us to delight in you every moment of every day, forever. Help us to find our greatest joy in you, that we would put your word deep in our heart, that we would Find it the place where we can't stop thinking about it all the time. Or that we would just be consumed by who you are and by how wonderful you are. Thank you, Lord, that you've made this possible, that you're doing this work in us, that you're opening eyes and ears to see you and to find our joy in you. And God, I I, I thank you, Lord, that you would do this despite what we do. Listen to the world, sit in the company of mockers, We just want to praise you, God, and we thank you. And Lord, now I just ask, maybe just for a blip today, for those who are far from you today, you just give them a little picture of some delight, a little bit more encouragement, coaxing them on a little more, a little more, that they would would just drink deeply from the, the well of that living water, that we would one day, Lord, which we long for so much, be people with not a single withered leaf, beautiful, perfect fruit, because you are the vine that supply all we need, and we are the branches. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.